Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with Tina Jamison. Tina is a librarian who has developed a very keen interest in bushwalking and hiking. What makes Tina special is that she recognised an opportunity to make bushwalking about more than personal enjoyment and fitness. She, she acquired the necessary skills through Bushwalking Leadership South Australia to lead groups on bushwalking and camping expeditions, even in remote areas, and came up with a plan to implement a program called Strong Daughters, where she takes mothers and daughters away on hiking and camping adventures. These are designed to challenge personal boundaries and develop their bonds. Tina has seen some excellent results, so for all of you hardworking mothers and fathers out there, sit down with a warm cup of tea or coffee and hear about Tina's adventures in the bush. Hello, Tina, and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Hello, Amanda. So today I'd like to talk about the Strong Daughters program and particularly the benefits you've seen for participants. But before we launch into that, can you please tell us about your path to becoming a qualified bushwalking leader? For example, where did your interest in bushwalking come from? Um, well, I guess at this moment it's probably a good opportunity for me to point out to any listeners that I am not a young outdoor Eddie um, that looks like the Instagram model you find on the top of a, a mountain. Um, I very much grew up in a rural part of England a long time. I've been in Australia about uh, oh, over 20 years now. Um, so I just turned 50 this year, so definitely not the young model. And um, I grew up running, riding, walking at the foot of the mm -hmm. Cleveland Hills, so I grew up in the countryside. So that to me was very normal. Right. Um, in terms of what people think of as bush walking, that part of my adventure is really relatively young. Um, I think I've always loved hiking and walking, um, but in terms of... Serious bushwalking, um, probably the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. um, and that journey really started um, at a time in my life where I was looking for a new self sense of identity. I think we um, spend a lot of our younger years having adventures, exploring, running, and at some point, life, family, children, work just takes over it gets does. in the way it buries you it does bury you and you forget you yeah. forget what it was like to actually do those things so I'd hit that 
call it my midlife adventure stage, um, where I was really looking to shake things up a bit. Um, real cliche, read Cheryl Strayed's Wild mm-hmm. and kind of sat at the end of that book and went, I need to do something. So I went for my own crazy, very ill-prepared, um, not as long as hers, um, journey um, in Deep Creek Conservation Park. Um, that's part of my backyard. And um, at the time, I didn't know very well at all. I was just looking to do something. Um, did all the wrong things, um, went very ill-prepared, two days overnight, um, loved it didn't take enough water didn't realize there was a bushwalking season so walked at the wrong time of the year um and i remember every little bit of that walk extremely vividly it meant an awful lot to me but i also recognized that i was very ill prepared Mm. that if i wanted to do more of this um i needed to learn some skills right i needed to actually find some way um of um, knowing what I was doing and finding some like-minded people if mm. I could. And being safe. Being safe, ex- yeah. absolutely. Mm. I mean, not having enough water. And yes, people knew where I was. Yeah. Um, I had um, contacts even then. But there was a lot of things that I didn't take into account. But it was still an amazing adventure. So how did you go about acquiring those skills? Okay, so in the first instance, I started actively seeking something out. So mm-hmm. I hopped online, um, started searching Um wanted to do the overnight hiking I knew I want I knew kind of what I wanted to do um, and the only th- thing I could find at that time um, was something called the Adelaide Bushwalkers um, and it just so happened that at the time I was searching they had a new members weekend coming oh, up perfect so I signed up very quickly mm-hmm. went along to that um, and yeah they were amazing I mean it's it's a peer group club, yes. Um, so they're not there to nurse you through all the experiences. But the new members' weekend was extremely informative. People were very, very willing um, to share their knowledge and experience. Um, and I've got some long-term friends now that I made through that group. We still walk yeah, together. That's wonderful. Um, and yeah, so that that was really the start of my personal bushwalking journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after doing that for a little while and seeing parts of uh, certainly South Australia that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Um, and it really gave me the opportunity to explore our own backyard in a way I hadn't thought about. Um, I then got the confidence to put up my hands to help at a school camp. So I've worked in a school. Um, so my other hat is I'm a librarian mm-hmm. in a school. Um, when I was quite young still, 28, I put up my hands for school camps um, and did not get the opportunity. So I kind of lost my confidence. And having gained a little bit of experience with Adelaide Bushwalkers, I thought, you know, this is something I really want to do. We have a really significant school camp mm-hmm. um, every year, a two-week camp. Where, whereabouts uh, is that? That's in the Grampians. Oh, lovely. Um, amazing um, experience for our students, usually regarded as one of the highlights of their time at school. Oh, fantastic. Whether or not they choose to continue you know, doing that kind of thing, um, it's really regarded as a significant point. So um, I approached... Uh, what was then our new outdoor ed um, leader and just sort of said look I'd really like the opportunity to come along and help with this I think I've got a few skills that I could now offer and share 
Um, and yeah, it was was warmly greeted. They Wonderful. they had mm. the funding to train one person that year, and they said, "You're it." Oh, great. So yeah, it was um, a fantastic opportunity. Pushed me well outside of my comfort mm. zone. I thought I'd learned quite a lot. I had a lot more to learn. <laughs> um, and they've been super, super supportive in helping build up those skills and giving me those opportunities to use those skills. Yeah. So it sounds like you, uh, to some extent, the um, the stars aligned for you, didn't they? Because you had the desire, and then the opportunity at the school came up, and I think they did. There's yeah. an element um, of just doing something I yeah. think you have to make that first step and, um, and putting and yourself out there out of your comfort zone mm. and I think that's an awful lot about um, what um, adventuring in the outdoors is about you talked about being out of your comfort zone so what were some of the aspects of the training that you found challenging um, I think everything um, about it is challenging for someone that's walking in, especially when you're training with lots of people um, who may have actually already been working in the industry for some years mm-hmm. and are just looking to um, pass a particular certificate or, or tick the next box. Um, so coming in again as an older uh, person, I guess I felt like I was a bit of an imposter <laughs> for a start, um, you know, that, that I didn't have any right to be there. Um, but it it is an amazing um, experience. So I worked with uh, Bushwalking Leadership South Australia and they're the ones that put you through your paces. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time we were doing it, it was they had changed the structure of what they were doing as well. So it was new. The course structure was new mm-hmm. for everybody, including right. the trainers. So it was quite intensive. And um, it started off with a massive online component, uh, which just showed how much knowledge I didn't have. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and so that was super intensive, as well as that face-to-face and practical yes. experiences. Um, so do you get um, uh, assessed, I guess, for want of a better word, on the practical and any written component you do. as well? Yes, yeah. you do. It's um, like going back to uni. It, it, it was. And for someone who's not, we even had an exam. Oh, how um, terrifying. So, <laughs> so you start off doing um, an assistant course first, just mm-hmm. to be an assistant leader. Um, and that's a fairly intensive short-term block to get you up to a certain standard. Once you've then passed that component, they then offer you the, well, it's up to you then if you choose to then continue to mm-hmm. be a fully qualified bushwalking leader, which my school had already told me that's what they wanted me to do. So it was a potentially long-term commitment because people can take years to complete the qualification, partly because a large component of the qualification is a logbook um, yeah, of that makes experience sense. and walks and demonstrating that you actually have the required skill set to be left solely responsible for a group of, uh, you know, participants, whether they're children or adults. Mm. Um, I guess you have to think about how to manage all sorts of scenarios where you do safety danger you do so uh, there's an awful um there is a lot to do with risk management and risk minimization Mm. um we talk about uh, a lot about real risk and perceived risk so often things that look scary uh, are not necessarily as scary psychology involved there's quite a lot of psychology Mm. there's a lot about um weather i had to learn all sorts about meteorology and checking the weather before you go out so that's actually quite a large component as well what about fire risk 
I'm sure oh, you well, must. Risk, well, risk, yeah, and it, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can fill out an entire risk sheet and still think of more. And you'll probably go on the walk and then think of more again. Um, and it's very difficult to predict every scenario. Yeah. Um, but there are sort of common factors that you would look at, such as, uh, you know, weather is one, your environment that you're actually walking in. Mm. So those risks are going to change depending on whether you're walking by w- bodies of water or on a yeah. cliff top or, or whatever the environment is can affect. Um, the people that you're taking or you might meet on the way, depending on how public your activity mm-hmm. is. Um, and then the actual equipment that you might be using. So they're yeah. probably the key sort of factors. Um, and, you know, those those kind of factors, anyone mm-hmm. that's had to write a risk assessment for any area, not just outdoor education, has probably had to do mm-hmm. similar sort of things. No matter what your um, planning is, it's still things can go wrong because I think of Taria Pitt, that, you know, beautiful girl doing that run out in the outback and that, awful fire that swept through that's right yeah um anyway let's not dwell on that (laughs) i mean but our role as a as a leader is to minimize yeah we we have to look at um what is acceptable and what's not yeah and you know if something's not acceptable then we shouldn't be doing it so it it is looking at that um yeah and so Tina, what you've gone on to develop from all your bushwalking is a program called Strong Daughters. And this is one of the things I'd really like to focus on today. So can you tell us about Strong Daughters and what what is it? Who can go along? Where do you go? All those sorts of things. Okay. Um, Well, Strong Daughters came about for a number of reasons. Um, Partly we did have to do these logbooks and as part of those logbooked walks we had to walk with adults we had to walk with children we had to walk with different types of groups over that period in different conditions um so i was able to tick a lot lot of those boxes anyway walking with abw and walking with school students Mm -hmm. and i had a lot of willing friends who were willing to be victims uh, in terms (laughs) of my walks um But the Strong Daughters program really grew out of a number of people that had said, look, I'd love to do this. Can I bring my daughter? Can I bring my, you know, bring my child along? And um, a lot of the forums that I walked with didn't allow for that sort of Mm. scenario. So I was looking at writing something that would suit those sort of groups. Um, And then I myself uh, am a mother of two. I've got a, a now 15-year-old and a 19-year-old, but my daughter at the time was probably about 11 or 12 when I started walking. Um, so this is before I did the training. Um, she was very keen, not so much on the idea of walking, but being with me and not being mm-hmm. left behind because I was increasingly going away, <laughs> neglectful mother that I am, um, going away on these exciting adventures, um, you know, actually going out and she was hearing my stories and seeing my enthusiasm I think and really wanted to be part of that so very early on she wanted to um, go with me for the weekends and we did a few practice walks around home where she Mm -hmm. had to prove to me that she could actually manage if she wanted to go on the longer trips then she had to prove to me that she could carry a full pack and she's a very determined person very you know at the time, if I call her a young lady, I would certainly get shouted at. Um, <laughs> but she was a very determined person and um, pr- very quickly proved that she was capable. Mm-hmm. 
um, we did uh, Overnighter down in uh, Deep Creek and a couple of others and she wanted to do the Overland track with me oh, when wonderful. I said I was going to do that. So for people that are not aware, the Overland track is a fairly significant undertaking in Tasmania. Mm. Um, it's uh, something that you have to book on and we committed to... Uh, you've got to carry all your own gear. There are huts, but you still have to carry a tent. All you your still food. have to carry all your food, mm. all your equipment to cook on um, and things like that. So we had to put in a bit of training. First day on the trail, she had a bit of a meltdown um, as soon as we started walking because she realized it was a very quiet meltdown. She held it in, but it was obvious she was very, very grumpy because um, she realized she was now committed and couldn't get out of it. Yes, it's hard work. It's very hard work. Mm. Uh, we got up that first hill to that first view, having climbed up using a chain to get up the thing with full <laughs> packs. Um, and uh, she, yeah, she switched it on. We, we did a little mini podcast of our own just for our own use where she recorded her thoughts and feelings and she really talked about how amazing it was, even though she'd just been <laughs> glaring at me all the way up the hill. Um, she met other people on the trail. To cut a long story short, there was lots of adventures along the way. Uh, it was very intensive. It certainly challenged her, mm -hmm. but she also saw us being challenged. There were times where she was coping beautifully and we were struggling. Um, and she got to the end of that trail and went back to school and realized that she had achieved something that most of her peers had never even dreamed of doing. Mm. Um, and it gave her a real um, strong self of self sense of self-worth. I think it really uh, showed her how resilient and capable she was. Yeah. It became a real part of her identity. Um, and when it came to things like potential school camps, it was something she felt like she was a, she, know, an expert yeah, in. Yeah, she was comfortable. Um, it gave her a real sense of comfort. Um, so I saw that in her. I saw her sense of independence and self-worth. Um, and I really wanted to share that yeah. with other um, girls in particular um, because having worked in a school for many years, um, I think that it you know this is this is based on my own experience and and you know what I've read, what I've seen and what I've experienced over many years working in the education system. Um, there's the real confidence gap with girls. Um, I think young girls are, are still very confident i think i, I spoke to you um before this yes. about the run like a girl campaign you did um and i think that's a, a really amazing it, you know it is an yeah. advert for a certain product but the actual campaign was amazing and just shows how a very young girl is still bursting with confidence if you tell her to um to do something she'll do it with full passion mm -hmm. and enthusiasm and determination then at some point at that sort of 11 12 13 year old bracket um, as puberty kind of kicks in and hits, they lose that confidence. Uh, they take a back step to other things. They don't tend to speak up or put their hand up in class or, or do as many of those uh, things that they would have done. Um, and I wanted to give them uh, a way of kind of arming themselves, preparing them, giving mm -hmm. them a toolkit um, to pr um, of personal skills um, that would allow them to recognise that they were capable, that they were resilient. And so in terms of the strong daughters, so what age group does that target? Um, I'm targeting tweens. Tweens, um, yeah. I mean, that was that was my mindset. So I often get requests and we have done camps for 
younger girls mm-hmm. um, and we've had requests for older girls and we've had requests for boys um, and all of those things are possible yes but the foundation of um, what I was trying to do was aimed at that tween um, age group with that very specific purpose and you've made it uh, so strong daughters it's a mother daughter or grandmother daughter combination isn't it so I, it's it's not just the girls so that's right why do you think it's important to have the mother and daughter along together well first of all I think when I was thinking of the the phrase strong daughters um, I wasn't strictly thinking of necessarily just that mother-daughter relationship I was thinking of daughters as in I guess daughters of us all yeah a much more global sense Mm -hmm. you know we're all responsible and I have indeed I've had grandmothers um, bring their daughters Um, I even had a grandfather who asked me for his daughter to participate with his granddaughter and she couldn't do the two days so she did one day because he wanted her to be part of it Um, and then he came with her and walked that second day. Oh, lovely. This was before, this was in my original pilot mm-hmm. group. Um, but yes, you're right. There is, it, it has grown into something um, that is about that significant relationship, whatever mm-hmm. that relationship is, whether it's mother and grandmother. Um, I think it is very powerful for mothers to see what their daughters are capable of. Um, and I think it's, to, to see your daughter perhaps move beyond what your comfort zone is. Yeah. So to let them step out ahead and to let them be capable individuals is actually really hard for some mothers. Mm. Um, and one of the very first things I, I actually do is um, we almost split the group into mothers and daughters so that the daughters take control apparently uh, they take control and lead the rest of us so the mothers step back and allow the girls to do that under sort of you know managed conditions um, but the idea is to give the the daughters that chance of feeling like they're in charge and in control and and managing themselves and I imagine for some daughters they may not experience that very much in their day-to-day lives no no that's right and we have had um participants that may have been subjected to bullying um, they may have been through family issues at home there's all number of reasons why confidence can be lost as well as just yeah. that general normal confidence loss of gap confidence. yeah um, and I think for them it's a really nice opportunity and you are throwing together a group of girls yeah who don't know each other and I actually think that's quite important. I think it's quite nice that they don't know each other mm. um, because there's a certain confidence in sharing an experience where you don't feel judged by your peers. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think they've all been thrown in a similar scenario. And my daughter's actually been a really uh, important part of this program as well. So she's acted as a mentor because I have that relationship with her. I know I can trust her to listen and help monitor things so she has a radio and I have a radio and the two of us communicate um, and I think that mentoring is quite important because she really role models some of the ex- expectations in terms of stopping and listening yeah. um, um, but she also acts as a bit of um, um, what's the word an impetus a uh, catalyst, to get, yeah, or... catalyst yes to, to aid that communication yeah. Yeah. and to make sure that no one's actually feeling left out um, and I think for the adults as well, you've got that opportunity to bond in a different way. Um, 
to perhaps share some stories, uh, build some connections. And so what do you think it is about being um, out bushwalking? Do you think it's being in nature? Do you think it's a challenging aspect of it? What, what is it that kind of brings out that confidence in the girls? I think there's a lot of front-loading in these activities. So I th- having, say, building on the experience I've had in schools, a well-written program is not just about taking kids out and having fun. It's not just about um, making them do something hard for the sake of doing something hard. It's not just about making them jump off a cliff, uh, kayak. Yeah. You know, it's it's their activities, but it's the it's the psychological, social aspects of the activities that are really really important. So the challenge of being out of your comfort zone. And for some of these girls, they might have never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used to being behind a device in a room, playing games, uh, reading, going to the cinema with their friends, going shopping. Um, it, the idea of roughing it, yeah. and being a bit dirty, being a bit messy and not having someone to pick up everything for you and being having to be independent is a really, really important aspect. So when I talk about front loading, the very first thing we do when we all sit down as a group is talk about what an adventure looks like. And I ask them who they think an adventurer is. So what what do they say? That's interesting. Well, I I guess, first of all, you're often looking at male role models Mm -hmm. um, very often. And they're they're super fit, super young, um, sporty people that climb Everest, people that, you know, ride across deserts on camels, whatever it is. But they're um, you know, there's the very fairly stereotyped images of what someone might look like. And obviously, by the end of the two days, I'm hoping they recognize that an adventurer really is anyone that's prepared to step outside of their yeah. uh, comfort zone. Um, for some people, walking out their front door might be an adventure, you know, if, if it's something that they find really, really challenging and hard to do. Um, but the point is learning that they are capable, capable. of making a change. Mm-hmm. And um, so that obviously has a connection to their mental well-being. Yes. Yeah. And so have have you found just observing um, the mothers and daughters that there's been um, there has been a change in terms of their perceptions um, of themselves and their resilience? And have you seen that? I think definitely at the end, yeah. um, we we always have a debrief. Obviously, we're not going to see the full impact in one weekend. No, you can't. It's not going to be possible. But we do get really lovely feedback sometimes. Um, And, for instance, from my very original um, Strong Daughters um, was a young lady who's now chosen to do outdoor education as her year 10 um, uh, topic at school. Uh, This was a girl that was shrieking at slugs outside her tent on the (laughs) night and could barely live without her mobile phone, had never seen a waterfall before. So she's gone from that. And that was amazing to hear because it obviously had significance for her. Um, As I said before, it's not about turning these girls into outdoor ed people. It's about giving them a toolkit that they can work with, uh, that they are resilient, that they can fail and try um, and, and try again or try something different um, and that they know that they are capable people. And one of the things you mentioned to me when we chatted before this podcast was um, 
the the flip side the daughters watching their mothers perhaps the mothers are vulnerable or struggling a bit and so what what are some examples of that and what kind of impact does that have on the relationship so I, I think this is probably a crucial part of what I try to do um we try to build in a distinct challenge um and I separate the mothers and daughters and talk to both groups and I talk to the girls very much about how it's their responsibility to help their mums cope Mm -hmm. because the next bit is a bit that adults find really hard because we basically have a a sort of a a rock scramble down carrying the packs. So we talk to the girls about how they're going to help their mums manage that and getting the packs down and that they're going to need to lead this part because they'll find it easy is what I'm telling the girls. And the poor old mums with the sore knees. And the poor old mums are going to find it hard. (laughs) So I then have to talk to the mums because some of them are actually very capable ladies. Um, And some genuinely do find it quite challenging because it is, you're going downhill down a slope and it's a very managed scenario. Um, But that can be scary if it's out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we talk to the mums and say, look, you might find this hard and that's okay. And I usually say to them, look, it's okay to let the girls see you struggle. Please allow them to help you. Even if you're not struggling, please allow the girls to help you because that's really important. I said, if you are finding it hard and you want to have a cry, please, that's okay. But what's really important is the girls see you struggle and persevere. And I think it's that uh, role modeling of seeing an older female role model struggling with something, finding it hard, but still having that determination to get through the challenge. Um, And I think it gives them such a strong basis for some um, communication. I think that's where the relationship value is in that mother-daughter experience. They both get to see a different aspect because I think as women, we're often having to put on this strong front. Oh, all the time. That's right. And I think it's okay to let our girls see a struggle, but still. Yeah, I know. I think in our day-to-day lives, um, certainly as a mother juggling, you know, career, family, children, you, you almost can't afford to let yourself sort of slide into uh, any sort of feelings of, um, of vulnerability you just you soldier on essentially yes. don't you and that's what the girls normal children normally see so it must be almost a bit of a shock for them to see their mothers in a position where they are challenged but as you say it's great role modeling because they you know they're determined they push through it and come out the other side it's absolutely and i yeah. think for the girls as well it's it's an opportunity as I say the reverse side is the mums get to see how capable the girls are they allow those girls to be capable and those girls as part of that growing up process start to begin to realize where their strengths are and to actually give something back to their family or to their caregiver I think is really significant I do tweens are actually easier than younger girls in many ways for this bit because they're beginning to have that understanding um but to say thank you yeah to their parents for what they do to recognize that effort to actually see and that's that's kind of really important i yes. think it's because you young children are quite egocentric yes, aren't that's they right. and they're sort of Moving. by the tween stage they're coming out of that a bit and they're more aware of others around them and particularly their parents who do a lot for them the other thing that just strikes me as we're talking is not only have they the mothers and daughters seen each other through this experience, but then they've got a shared memory. 
Absolutely. And this yeah. is where we don't necessarily see that impact. Yeah. So a, a lot of the lovely feedback um, that we've had has actually come after the mothers and daughters have had those conversations in the car on the way home. Yeah. Because they've debriefed possibly in a way they wouldn't have done in front of us. Mm. Um, and they've shared that experience and it's given them something really special. And um, with both hats on as a librarian and a <laughs> bushwalking leader, what do you think about um, the benefit of being away from uh, Wi-Fi and social media too? I mean, that must be part of um, what encourages the social connection on your on your bushwalks. Is that something? Um, yes, I think um, we do request that mobile phones and I, th I think this is super hard for the adults more than the children sometimes um, we do request that they uh, put things into airplane mode um, as if nothing else because that stops it spoiling everyone else's experiences yeah. um, because even if you're not on your device having someone else on the phone or, or looking at social media mm. is breaking that connection yes um, and for people to actually talk to each other, they need to be out the way. Um, yes, working in a school, devices are very much a large part of everyday life. They're part yeah. of homework. It's actually really hard to find that downtime. And as a you know, working in an office type scenario where I'm looking at a screen and a computer, it is physically draining. Yeah, I it agree. Is, it is. Yeah, I, I go home and my eyes are burning. Mm. I'm. I'm unusually tired having not really done very much physically during the day um, and I know I can go away on a camp a two-week camp where I'm on the go from 6 a.m till 10 30 at night um, and it's absolutely full on the whole time but I feel alive yeah and it's a very different feeling I'm not saying that's for everyone it's hard work um, but it's a different kind of hard work yes um, I think well, it's it's a very engaged sort of hard work, isn't it? it? Is. Because because you are responsible for other people, you have to keep your mind on the job, obviously. Mm. So you're very focused. But you're so. connect you're connecting with um, people all the time mm. around mm. you. Um, it's whether it's you know adult to to child, peer to peer, um, adult to adult. It's just being aware enough to have that time for those connections yes and not walking past with your head down on your phone on your phone yeah, yeah. Um, and then I've mentioned on so many of my podcasts that nature comes up again and again as a really strong informer of well-being being out in nature just has so many benefits for your mental and physical health and that's starting to be proven scientifically even though most of us kind of know that instinctively so um what are your thoughts about being in nature i think nature refreshes as i said before it's very draining and most of our day-to-day -day lives especially sitting in front of technology can be very draining um and some of those relationships that we have in our everyday lives can be very stressful um, they're not necessarily all nurturing um, and i think we're constantly under these kind of personal energy drains for want of another mm. way of phrasing it um, I think giving ourselves time in nature is a way to refresh, reset, um, press those buttons and start again. Um, 
I think, again, it comes down to that connection, this time not necessarily with people, but with our environment and where we actually are in, in our place in the world. Yeah. Um, when we take young people out, very often when they get out there, it's about doing the activity, getting from A to B. Um, they are less concerned with where they are than just getting to the finish of it. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to actively engage them um, in the journey. Um, and it's trying to teach them to slow down sometimes yeah. and connect with the big and the small. Um, you can do that. I think sometimes taking photographs is a really way to do that, oh, but yeah. it's getting them to focus on uh, perhaps something quite small or finding a scene that they can really um, inspire awe with. I think um, teaching them connection and respect for their environment is really, really important. Yes. Um, that we have a responsibility and that really comes through at the end of our debriefing because we do actively try to teach this and that does come back as feedback quite regu regularly our children are well, young people are very passionate they are about their environment we've got Greta Thunberg now that's yes. you know, making huge waves and yeah. just showing how powerful a young woman can be yeah um but I think um the girls we take out really get that um, and helping them to appreciate the amazingness of this yes. environment is, you know, giving them that opportunity to see it, to breathe it, to hear it, to touch it, to, yeah. you know, is super important. And one thing that we do with our women and our girls is try to take some time out. And it might be a minute of silence where you just listen to what you can hear, you know, not talking to each other, spreading out and having that space to connect with where you are. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful thing. It is, and we don't do it often in our lives, do we? No, Most we don't. people don't. Um, so, can you tell us about um, perhaps one or two of your most memorable um, strong daughter moments? Oh gosh, that's uh, oh, you don't have that's to probably the hardest. That <laughs> that's the hardest bit, I think. Um, as an overall thing, I find it very powerful. Um, Okay, in terms of memorable strong daughter moments, um, I get a kick every time out of that descent I was talking about before mm -hmm. and seeing the girls help their mums up or down that slope, depending which way we go. Um, I think that's incredibly rewarding to see how the girls, having really not known each other very long, work together to face that challenge and work as a team and with their parents as well. I just think that's... An incredibly powerful thing to watch yes. and be part of. Um, you know, my role is running up and down and making sure they do the whole thing very safely and yeah. that it's managed. But they really, um, they will talk later about how that's probably the highlight for them, that challenge aspect. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that one of the hardest aspects actually turns out to be for the them. highlight. I think the hardest bit for the girls is the long stretch where there's not so much action and they've right. just got to keep walking. Um, and that's that's quite exhausting towards the end of their trip. Um, but the challenge bit is what makes the trip, and I get a lot out of that. Um, I think memorable was the girls walking down one particular part of the trail and coming face to face with a, a couple, older couple walking in the opposite direction. And a man who kind of looked at the whole group of girls, they were walking ahead of us, the mothers, we were further back, but within earshot. And 
this man turned to the girls and looked at them all and sort of said, oh, where are the boys to keep you all in line? <laughs> and our mouths <laughs> fell open at the back. And it, it was one of those conversations yeah. we were then able to have with the girls. How on earth did that make you feel? Yes. What did you say? How did you handle that? You know, because I think it is quite shocking really now. Um, well, just that, even think about that, that kind of assumption that they couldn't be capable That's by themselves. Right. And very and, much the girls were, we don't need anyone. Yeah. We're doing quite well. Thank you very much yeah. on our own. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. I think that's why we need programs like this. Yeah, of course. So, Tina, another aspect of group travel is connection with others. So, in your opinion, how does um, group travel, and particularly bushwalking, promote connection? Um, I think every time we walk down the high street, we go to work, we drop the kids at school and so on. Most of us are very self-conscious about how we appear to others. Um, I think we are quite judgmental of ourselves and of other people and we feel judged. Um, we're very influenced by labels, uh, mm-hmm. the lawyer, the psychiatrist, the architect, the teacher, the waitress, the cleaner. Um, and I think being out bush in particular um, is a great equaliser, particularly yeah. on those kind of adventures where you're having to be self-sufficient um, and struggle Uh, Those kind of experiences, when we meet with a group who are ready for a challenge and a new adventure, we tend to leave those labels behind. We're all there um, with a common and connecting interest. So we all get uncomfortable, we all get tired, we all get wet, we all get grungy. And I really think that breaks down a lot of barriers. Um, Our needs become a lot more basic. Uh, We become more concerned with things like warmth, food, shelter, water. Um, and we leave the makeup and the fashion concerns behind. Um, I'm often really quite surprised when I see Facebook photos of people that I've walked with and oh. I realise just how amazingly professional and, you know, th- th- there's a totally different persona and image, yeah. and yet I met them in a totally different capacity. I might have been really scared to talk to that person on yes, the Facebook page. Yes, if you'd page. seen them. Uh, and knew what they did Mm. whereas out when we're all just doing that common thing it's a really humbling experience I think it's um, you get to know the stories of individuals you get to know the person not the label behind the facade that's right Mm. and people are very willing to share kindness and knowledge I think so the final question that I like to ask all of my guests is if you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being what would they be probably more life attitudes that i'd recommend than than anything which i do think affect your well-being um and i think one is uh be brave mm-hmm. um and by that i don't mean be reckless or fearless um i don't mean jumping out of a plane or dangling off a rope i just mean challenge yourself from where you are at And as I said, everyone's adventures are going to look very different. I'm not going to be the Instagram model on the top of Everest, but I do what I can. Um, I just mean, I think, as I mentioned to you once before, I was really, really inspired to listen to a lady who was struggling with obesity, who desperately was depressed and wanted to make a change. And her change was to walk up and down her hallway. Um, It was a a radio podcast that I listened to a while ago and I found her inspiring. Yeah. She chose to do something rather than nothing, even though it was hard for her. Um, and I think we shouldn't 
judge other people's adventures which brings me to my next bit of recommendation is be kind Mm. not only to others but to yourself wonderful Um, recommendation being able to be compassionate to others and being able to show yourself self-compassion in terms of um, picking yourself up being kind to yourself if you do fail um, and helping yourself in terms of moving on treating yourself as you would a best friend yeah i think we're our own worst critics i totally agree yeah so yes be brave be kind be brave and be kind well they're they're beautiful words thank you very much tina that's okay thank you very much and that was tina jamison founder of the strong daughters program strong daughters is offered through the big heart adventure website i interviewed lisa murphy founder of big heart adventures in episode 19 and I'll put links in the show notes. And I do apologise for my croaky voice. Between recording with Tina and doing this outro, I've managed to get quite a nasty cold. Anyway, you can subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed and I'll do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, effort and money behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon, to help ensure that we continue to provide you with excellent content, please visit the Contribute page on my website. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source excellent guests. I apologise again for my voice and thank you very much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.